Okay, so last week, if you were not here or you're just picking up this week, uh, last week Jesus meets with this Pharisee, this religious leader, um, and he meets with him in the evening, and, and his name is Nicodemus. He meets with Jesus, and he has lots of questions for Jesus. And, and, and so Jesus starts to unpack uh, what it means to uh, be a part of the kingdom of God, and he tells him, you must be born again. Now, Nicodemus, uh, when he hears you must be born again, he does not understand what Jesus is talking about. So he says, what do you mean? How can a grown-up be born again? It doesn't work. So then Jesus kind of scolds him, right, for, for not understanding and, and says, listen, you're a teacher, you're this incredible leader and theo theologian, and you don't understand. But then as this conversation continues, Jesus, what we see as he does so often, he demonstrates compassion wherever people find themselves at. And I think that's an encouragement for any of you this morning. Whether you feel like you're here and you've arrived in your relationship with Jesus or you feel like you're right here, this is an encouragement because regardless of where you're at, we see Jesus, although he's like, how do you not understand? He says, I'm gonna walk you through what this looks like. And so we pick up in uh, verses 14 and 15. I'll start with that in John chapter 3. Uh, and, and Jesus is continuing this conversation. And he says this in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you're brand new to faith, you're like, what in the world? Okay? So Jesus is in this conversation with Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus he is an expert in the Old Testament, okay? So, so every story, uh, the main points, like he, he's dialed in. And so Jesus draws his attention back to this story, to this, to this moment in history where the nation of Israel, they've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and they've been wandering around in the desert for about 40 years um, at this point. And, and listen, they have... They have done so many things backwards, and God has continually had to remind them of who he is because they go through these seasons of doubt where they rebel against God, Moses, um, and, and it's just been this, this process. And so, but Jesus tells a story to Nicodemus, and, and we, we read it out of Numbers chapter 21. And in Numbers chapter 21, I'll start with verses four through six and just read this. It says, from Mount for they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. Sounds like my kids. And we loathe the, this worthless food. <laughs> then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Let's pray. Great, great, great sermon, right? Uh, you'll think twice before you start complaining to God, won't you? Um, go Old Testament on you. So we see, now once again, this isn't the first time this has happened. This has been a continual problem with them. And keep in mind, like God miraculously saved them out of that, that unimaginable oppression and slavery in Egypt, 
He delivered them from that. And then he supernaturally takes care of all their physical needs throughout this time in the desert. I mean, like, whether it's, it's making water out of nothing to, or whether it's literally providing food. They were eating manna, which came from heaven. So they're, they're literally, he's providing food and all these things. Every day should be a continual reminder that God is in control and he's worthy. And yet we see them respond with, I can't believe we're still out here in this desert Thanks a lot, God. It would have been better in Egypt. Why don't you just kill us? This food that you supernaturally provide is awful. Just so you know. And they're rebelling against Moses and God, and God is like, no. Uh-uh. And we see these snakes arrive on the scene, and these people are bitten, and... They die. And then we see in verses 7 through 9 of Numbers 21, it says, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay, so that punishment, these snakes, who's, who's who, the, the, you know, the, their bite, their venom is described as fire. Um, literally, we see that that judgment worked or that punishment because the people, they do what? They repent. They go to Moses, they say, listen, we were wrong. Okay, we should not have acted out in this way. Question you, question God, ultimately. And so we pray to God on our behalf. And, and we see that he builds this bronze snake, puts it, and puts it in front of them. And whoever looks at it would be healed immediately. And what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's making a comparison to Nicodemus. He's using this story to draw a comparison between that snake being lifted up and people seeing it and then being healed. And he's saying, just as that serpent was lifted up and people looked at it, and they were healed because they were going to die if they didn't, so too is the Son of Man going to be lifted up. It's going to be lifted up, except we're not talking physical, we're talking eternal. We're talking about eternal life, this rebirth. Nicodemus that we've been talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And so people are going to look to Jesus and we see this expression lifted up. And, and typically in scripture, it meant to be exalted. But when Jesus is using this phrase here, he was speaking more directly to what had to happen for people to enter his kingdom. They had to look to Jesus up on the cross. Guys, the cross wasn't the end to his glory. The cross was the means to his glory. And just as that serpent was lifted up on the pole, so the Son of God would be lifted up on the cross. And just as the people who were bitten were going to die, those of us who are caught in our sin, what do we read in, in Romans 6, 23? For the wages of sin is what? It's death. So any of us that are in our sin, under that condemnation, we are separated from a perfect and holy God for all of eternity unless, unless, we look just as the people did, except we look to Jesus. 
He brought them a cure and he gives us a cure for our spiritual sickness. Guys, in, in the camp there at Israel, the solution to their serpent problem, their snake issue, it wasn't like making some new medicine, right? In fact, it wasn't even creating a snake task force team to go hunt and kill them all, right? It wasn't, hey, build some poles, have everybody just climb up, and then we'll, we'll see them scatter around, right? Like, like, like there wasn't any of those things. Uh, it was just looking to that bronze serpent. And, and when you think about our spiritual condition, we like to create all of these other things that we think will save us and what Jesus is, is saying to him, once again, is, is no, all those things won't save you. It's literally looking to the cross, acknowledging and believing and putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. In verses 16 and 17 here of John chapter 3, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, verse 16. You're like, I've heard that before. You have. Probably seen it before. It's probably the most famous, most well-known verse in the Bible. But it begins with this small little word, for. And that little word for there, it's, it's, it's what connects it to verses 14 and 15. For God so loved the world. So, so in other words, um, when, when, we, when we talk about like, um, you know, verse 16 and, and, and how it fits, what it's really answering is the question, why would the Son of God need to be publicly executed? Right? Like, did you think, like, why in the world does that need to happen in order to accomplish this incredible means of eternal life? Why did that have to happen? Well, John 3.16 provides the solution, right? When, it, when it's saying for, it's, it's literally saying the death of Jesus was necessary because God loved us. And then we see for God so, and this word so, it refers to, to the demonstration of God's love. That's why it also can be translated in this way. God loved us in this way. Um, and, and really what it's communicating is how he demonstrated his love in a very real and tangible way. For God loved the world in this way so that he gave his son. You guys, the proof of God's love for you and for me is that he acted on it. How do we know if someone really loves us? How do we know? Oh, they say it. They said it twice. Thanks for asking. How do we really know, right? Well, for me, you judge it based upon actions, right? They will act and demonstrate in a way towards me that demonstrates they love me. If, if, if my boys right now were right up here and I, and, and, and I said, why, why do you think I love you? They wouldn't say because you say it. They point to specific moments that in their minds confirm that, that, that my actions are demonstrating that I do love them. And so when we think about what he's saying here, John 3, 16, he is saying, listen, this is the proof of my love for you. I have acted on it. I am demonstrating my love for all of you. And, um, and you can be confident in it. Now, why can we be confident in it? 
Because the gift of love that God gave you guys, it was his only son. Guys, it was his only son. That's the gift. Guys, we have cheapened this verse. And, and how I know that is because we've cheapened the love. Right? Like, like, like we, we read that and we, man, well, he's God. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Listen, God, God wasn't like giving because, oh, I've got extras, right? Some of you have given something out of your house or, or something you got and, and you got too many of them or, or you had more than you needed and you know someone else wanted it. And so what'd you do? Out of your excess, you gave and blessed someone else, which is a great thing, very nice thing, right? But you did, you gave out of excess, right? Some of us, we've, we've, you know, we've given because we don't need that anymore, Right? Like, like if you have kids, they grow out of clothes, they grow out of the toys. Uh, uh, there's certain things that you buy, and if we all walk around into our houses or apartments and we go home, we can see stuff that we go, why did I purchase that? I don't need it anymore. And, and for a lot of us, we give that to somebody else. But we're giving that because we don't need it anymore. It's not valuable to us anymore. And, and it doesn't mean giving it away is wrong. That's a very nice thing to do. But I'm saying when we talk about the demonstration of God's love, it's not out of excess. It's not, oh, I don't have any purpose for, for Jesus. Go ahead. No, he demonstrates his love by sending his one and only son for you and for me. It is an incredible gift and it's demonstrating the depth of how much he loves us and it also demonstrates how he was willing to pay for us the price tag that we could never pay for ourselves. And he did it for free. Guys, there's no payment plan for your salvation. It's free. But it's not cheap. Yeah, the gift costs us nothing, but it costs Jesus his life. Guys, his, his love for the world, it, 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 it's so remarkable. Not because when he says, for God so loved the world, it's, it's a remarkable love. Not because the world's so big, but, but honestly, it's because the world's just so bad. Like, when you look at history, and sometimes you just have to walk through, like, like certain times, uh, someone may say something to you and, and you're like maybe mad or you feel a certain way and you actually have to look back at that person's life and go, you know what, they didn't really mean that because I know who they are. Guys, let's look at just for a second. God created the world. God created it. Created everything in it, right? And he made humanity. He created humanity and he also gave humanity the exalted position, it says, above everything else he created on this earth. Pretty awesome. And along with that, they're perfect and, and, and all that. But, but then he just says, listen, just don't do this one thing. Just don't do this one thing, okay? This is all yours. This is what life is like. Just don't do that. Man, they did it. They rebel, they revolt, right? They do the one thing, the one thing. And so, and so, you know, if we're God, okay, I'm done. But no, what does he do? What does God, how does he respond to that? Well, he instead offers a way to escape his judgment. 
And, and we see throughout time, he actually calls to himself this guy who is caught in paganism named Abraham. He brings him and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And then he blesses, we see throughout scripture, all of Abraham's descendants. He blesses them and then he expands them and, and numerically they turn into a whole nation. And he said, through this nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. But what does this nation do continually? They turn on God. They rebel, they revolt against God and what he asks them to do. And so what does God do? Okay, now he's done with them. No, God then sends prophets, spokesmen for him, people that would communicate his will, people that he would send that would remind them who they are, that would remind them who their God is and call them to turn around from what they're doing, knowing that it's in opposition to a perfect and holy and loving God. And these prophets come on the scene and they tell them that. And what do they do to the prophets? They kill him. Okay, well now, I mean, like, he's out, right? Well, no. He actually, he, he intensifies his love. What does he do? He goes and he sends his eternal only son of God and he sends him to earth for you and for me. So how do they respond to Jesus? They turn against him and then they put him on a cross. They crucify him. And even in that moment, you guys, as, as his one and only son is hanging on the cross, God loves us so much that in that moment where I would be so angry, he is overflowing with love to the point where he says, I am going to transfer, as you kill my son, I'm going to transfer all of their sins and put them on my son. As they're killing Jesus. He loved humanity so much. He's watching his son take, take incredible physical punishment and pain. And it was injustice. It wasn't, it wasn't like he deserved it. He deserved that. Like, like it, was, it, was, it was wrong in every way. And as that's going on, if I'm God, it's over. You're all out. No, in his love, he actually transfers the very people's sins. We're putting Jesus on the cross. He says, I'm going to place that on Jesus. It's so nasty. He had to turn away from Jesus. But Jesus takes all of that to the cross. And God in that moment was saying, I am providing a way back for you, a way back for eternal life for you to where you can now choose to place your faith, your hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you'll have eternal life. Man, and, 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 and we're like, we literally will listen to all this, and we'll be like, God, you haven't done enough for this world that hates you. <laughs> Guys, the question isn't why is there only one way, but why is there even a way? I mean, seriously. Do you realize the depths of love that God has displayed by giving us Jesus? Do you understand that? And maybe you're like, man, no, I never thought of that. Guys, we didn't deserve or earn his love. Guys, we were against him. When he transferred that sin to Jesus, you guys, 
Those people were against him. They weren't sitting there going, oh, oh, we worship you. We're ready. We surrender. No, they're yelling, crucify him. They're beating him. They're spitting on him. All of that is taking place. And so what do we see? Like, like that's so incredible. It says, God loves us. This is present tense. So, so it, it, it's, it, well, he doesn't say present tense, like now that we've been made children, he loves us. No, it's past tense, right? God loved us. So before we were saved, Romans 5 what does it say? Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he didn't wait for you to arrive, wait for you to figure it out. He didn't wait for all those people putting Jesus on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ willingly went to the cross for those sins, for that punishment. Guys, he's the one who acts first in salvation. When you think of love, 1 John 4, 19, it says, we love because he first loved us. He initiated this incredible love. You should never, ever doubt his love for you. Guys, that's why when you look at the New Testament and you see grace just being highlighted so much, it's because people are responding to this truth. Paul literally, uh, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, this gift of salvation. You guys, Paul, who's way smarter than me, does not have any words that he can think of to describe the gift of salvation. He goes, it's beyond my ability to put words to it. That's how amazing it is, that the Savior would save me. And we see, um, just when we talk about just the, the process and how incredible that work is, 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in Isaiah 53, some of the most beautiful passages and powerful passages in all of scripture, it speaks to the Messiah. And in Isaiah 53, five and six, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Man. This incredible gift of salvation is freely available to whoever believes in Jesus. We see in verse 17 here that God's purpose in sending his son was, it says, not to condemn the world. Guys, here's the reality. He didn't need to come to earth to condemn mankind. You know why? We were already condemned. Like Jesus didn't need to come on the scene and be and been like, all right, judgment's here. No, it had already happened. You guys, like, um, we were already condemned. When Adam and Eve sinned, the result was what? Condemnation. Okay, they were not only expelled from God's presence in the garden, but they were placed under the sentence of death along with every human being after them. Thanks a lot. So we're born into this, right? You know it. You see it. If you've ever been around kids, like you see that's in them early on. It's like, when did you learn how to lie? I'm full of sin. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why are you so angry? Why, who taught you to do that, right? And we're trying to find the family member that taught them that word or that. And sometimes you go, oh, no. Um, but 
It's in us, you guys. It's in us. And, and you don't like arrive and go, oh, I don't struggle with that anymore. Like, like no, you, you have this battle, right? We, we all do because we're born into this thing. And, 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 and I love what we're, we're, we're reading here because what we see is Jesus came on the scene to deal with that disconnect. Guys, we needed someone to come to our rescue. We couldn't rescue ourselves. No one could live a perfect life and go to the, and pay that penalty. Nobody could do it. So Jesus came. It says in 16 what? He came so that you would not perish but have eternal life. Guys, in this context, to perish, it's, it's used in contrast with eternal life. And so it's referring to literally eternal death in this place called hell, this very real place that I wish I could just say, oh, it's made up, but it's not. And we see that Jesus came onto the scene, it says in verse 17, to rescue us from that. In Luke 19.10, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Luke chapter 5, 31 and 32, it says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Man, so we have this opportunity. We can place our hope, our faith in Jesus, in his sacrifice for our sin, and enjoy eternal life in our Father's house. And, and yeah, will he reject, you know, those and judge those that turn away? Yeah, but that wasn't the purpose in Jesus coming to earth we see in this mission. Verses 18 through 21, it continues, and it says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be revealed. But, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. What we see is whoever believes in Jesus is no longer condemned. I'm really disappointed in you, 10 o'clock. You shouldn't hear that and just go, great. That's awesome, I'm not condemned anymore. That's, that's really cool, Steve, great point. I want you, guys, to be condemned is to judge a person to be guilty and, and liable to punishment. When we place our faith in Jesus and him alone to save us, our sin and our guilt is completely removed and we're declared innocent. That, that's the message. Romans 8, 1, what does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Psalm 32, 1 and 2, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, in, in, in verse 18, the phrase is, it, it says, is not condemned in the present tense, meaning our condemnation, if the moment you put your faith, your hope, and trust in Jesus, the moment you do that, your condemnation, that guilt, that penalty is immediately paid. It's done. So you don't have to go, okay, okay, I'm looking forward to that day when that happens. Like, no, 
He's so amazing. The moment you look to him and receive him as your Lord and Savior, canceled, done. You're innocent. He paid it all. Guys, this, this is, I, I find that this is an issue for a lot of us. Because as a Jesus follower, I think sometimes, and, and frankly it should be, it's, it's sometimes easy to feel the weight of sin. And, it, and, and, and we get caught in this guilt and this condemnation. Now, guys, if you're a Jesus follower and you, and you sin and it bothers you, that's good. So don't get me wrong, right? Like, like that shows you care. That shows you understand that it cost Jesus his life, okay? So it should bother me. But there is this point that I see where we take that thought and we don't bring it back to the grace of God. We go to this place where all of a sudden we're acting like we're condemned again. Where we're acting like guilt is now part of my new normal. And I see so many Christians living and just sitting in this puddle of guilt over, over a mistake, over an addiction. There are all these things, and they're just sitting there in the guilt. And they love God, they, and, they're, and they're bothered by what they're seeing, but for whatever reason, they're choosing, because you're choosing, because he says, listen, if you've made that decision, I've removed that. But for whatever reason, we're choosing to continue in the guilt Guys, guilt's not of God. I don't care what you've heard or whatever church you've been at. Like, he doesn't load you with guilt. God brings conviction. Conviction is meant to change you. It's not meant to be like this, this never-ending bag of you're a failure. Okay, that's the enemy. He's the one who, what, what did he say? He came to rescue you. He came to declare you that were not innocent, innocent. And, and he came to bring you out of that to the point where he says, listen, Come on, wake up to the new reality that you should be living in light of. Stop allowing this guilt that has no business being in your life, stop allowing that to continue to hold you back from walking forward by faith in your relationship with Jesus. Listen, this year's been tough, and there's a lot of us that have made some mistakes, and we are still holding on to those things, and you just can't do that if you're a Jesus follower, not by the authority of Scripture. If you're holding on to something, it's you holding on to it. He's already removed it. And so based upon the gospel, I have the ability to move forward in my life and experience that saving grace. Sin is no longer our master. But we also see, unfortunately, in verse 18, it has a second half. And it says, anyone who does not believe is already condemned. We already looked. We are, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, right? That's, that's that condemnation. If you haven't believed in Jesus, if you haven't made him your Lord and Savior, then your condemnation has not been removed. But I wanna encourage you to not let these words, as, as, as strong as they are, cause you to doubt God's love. Guys, these verses make it clear. Condemnation is a result of the refusal to accept God's gift. That's where it comes from. It's, re it's refusing to receive that incredible gift. It's refusing. He's inviting you to look to the cross and for whatever reason, we're like, no, I don't want that gift. 
Now, why would anyone not look to the cross and live? Well, it tells us in verses 19 through 21, didn't it? It said what? We, we see that Jesus is introduced as the light shining into the darkness, but it said people love the darkness. So he's making this available. Here he is lighting up the world and people are acknowledging that light and still choosing darkness because it says they love the darkness and they don't want to be revealed or exposed by the light. Okay, guys, I'm telling you right now, a byproduct of living in darkness. One, if you're a child of darkness, that's what you know. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? Like that's, you don't just like live in this darkness and, and fall into the light. No, your nature, your tendencies are in that darkness. And the longer you're in that darkness, the harder your heart becomes to the things of God, the more calloused you are, um, and the farther down that road you go. That is by design, Right? Like when you think of what Satan is trying to get people into, it's not a mistake. He's trying to get them into slavery. And so when you are in that darkness, um, he continues to take you further and further and further down that road with the goal of what, guys? Let's not be, let's, like Satan's goal is to destroy you. Like he, he wants to take you out. And if you have a family right now, he wants to, he wants to take your whole family out. If you have marriage right now, he wants to take that out. If you have a close friendship with anybody that's pursuing God right now, he is going to try to get them out of your life because he wants to keep you in that. And so not only is that person conditioned to a life apart from God to where even when the light is revealed, they're like, no, I think I know about that. I think I know what they're about. They're weird. Uh, I've seen this video. Ugh. And, and, and But you need to know, not only are they conditioned to that darkness, but they also have the enemy who is actively working because he doesn't want them over there. He likes, he likes them where they're at. One of the reasons I love being in Eugene and I love college students is because for me, I have become so conditioned into the darkness and it was in college where the light illuminated and it was undeniable. And it was literally like, out of just craziness. But he shines that light into the darkness and people don't want that. See, people, people will face the consequences of their sin not because God's gift of Jesus is insufficient, but because they refuse to turn from sin and trust in him to save them. Guys, when people reject his gift, it reveals the condition of their hearts. It doesn't reveal the condition of Christ's heart. See, the fault doesn't lie in the Savior. It lies in the sinner. But all, it says, who are of the light, who come to the light, they, 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 they want to embrace the light. They're the ones who, who, who don't perish. They're the ones who have eternal life. Those that pursue the light and want to walk in the light. You guys... Jesus' followers should, like I said earlier, hate sin. They should hate their sin when it happens in their life. And because of that, they're drawn to the light. Because what does the light do? It reveals, right? It, 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 it illuminates. It, it, it convicts. It shows us where we're at. 
and he shows us where we're not at, right? If you ever walk into a dark room, you wander around, and then you turn on the lights, and you're very aware where you're at, where you're not at, you guys. If you are a Jesus follower and you're running from the light, there is a disconnect in your understanding. Because if I'm a Jesus follower, I run towards the light. Even when I'm sinning and I'm struggling, guys, I am like, man, I need you. Because I, I know that that light is designed to change me into who he's called me to be, who he wants me to be. And I know that that is where I'm going to find this hope, this peace, this faith that I can walk in, this fruit of the Spirit. It happens as I continue to pursue the light. You guys, the enemy tries to get us to think that that light is all about condemnation, guilt, and shame. But remember, in the verses just before this, he's already said, I covered that. So if I'm a Jesus follower, I'm looking for those moments of light. I'm looking for that truth because I want to know, because I want to follow him. Because, guys, to literally give my life to Jesus, it brings about activity and actions in my life. It brings about this incredible plan, this purpose that he continues to unfold as you pursue him. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the light. That's what he has for you. He's got an incredible plan and a mission for you. But I want to just challenge us today. I want to close with this. This is what really hit me. There is a rescuer mindset that Jesus had and a focus and we need to have that. We need to have that. I want to challenge you to stop making it your mission to condemn and start making it your mission to rescue. Guys, we're in such a weird time and place where for whatever reason, we think if we're the loudest spiritual voice that it's good. If, we're just, if we overshout someone else, that it's a good thing. If we're the first one to condemn and to call out all these things that are not of God, then, then we're on the right path. But I'm telling you right now, uh, as you look at John 3, 16, you look at these verses, you're, you're, man, you're gonna have a little gut check here because the reality is, man, my posture should not be that. My posture, according to Jesus, is, man, I need to be a part of search and rescue. I mean, I want you to just think about this whole mindset shift because it's so weird when, when I meet people and they're so consumed with condemning. I mean, it's, it's literally like, I don't know if you've ever been lost. I hope not. But for any of you that have been lost, maybe you've been lost in the woods somewhere um, and, and, and like a search and rescue team had to go find you. It would literally be like that search and rescue team showing up to you and you're lost. Maybe you're hurt, whatever. You don't know how to get home. And they're like, hey, we're here, you're lost. Good luck. That's literally what we sound like as Jesus followers. And the whole world's like, and even other Christians are like, what are you doing? I mean, what are we doing? Why in the world are we so caught up trying to condemn when they're already condemned? Like, what, you're gonna out-condemn God? Like, serious. Like, judgment's there, okay? You don't need to, like, like, it's literally, your mindset when you're in that place is, God, let me replace you for a minute. 
I got this. He's got it covered. My heart, my posture needs to be, how do I join your search and rescue team? God, make me the helicopter driver. Whatever you need, I will drive. And if you're like, man, I don't know how to say the right things to people. to, to man, man, you just point to the cross. And guys, you point them to the rescuer. He's the one who does the rescuing. We never rescue anybody. He's the rescuer. And so just as Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he's telling us today, you guys, you got to look to the cross and understand and know and believe what Jesus said and understand what he came to do, which is to pay a penalty for you. You can never pay on your own behalf. And God loved you so much that even in all of this sinfulness, all these mistakes, all these words and these things you've done, you wish you couldn't do, that we wish you didn't do all that, Jesus still went to that cross. He died for you. And guess what? It's finished. It's finished. And so for any of you that just haven't turned the page, today let's turn the page. For any of you that have never received him as your Lord and Savior, make a decision today to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And lastly, if you are so caught up in condemning a culture that is darkness, because it is, Join the search and rescue team.